0: And ultimately, why are we talking about protected bike lanes? It's not just because <laughs> we think they're cool, but it's, it's the kind of safe and comfortable infrastructure that's gonna actually shift behavior and get people who might be interested in riding a bike actually um, use it day to day as a part of their, their daily transportation choices. So if we're creating that safe, low stress, all ages and abilities network, we can actually help unlock a lot of the sustainability and equity and health benefits that you know less car centric mobility can bring us.
1: Welcome to the Cloudcast, I'm Erin Hegarty, and I'll be your host today. While the season is finally starting to shift here in Chicago, and we're getting taste of just how biting that autumn cold wind can be, this week we're talking about biking, or more specifically, what it takes to build a regional biking network that is safe and that connects people to where they need or want to go. The city's transportation department earlier this year announced its plans for 100 miles of new and upgraded bike lanes between this year and next, and plans for an additional 12 miles of protected bike lanes. That's bike lanes that are separated from car traffic by a barrier both this year and next year. As these new lanes and new types of bike lanes are rolling out, we wanted to look at what goes into planning for a robust regional network of bike lanes since... Let's be honest, Chicagoans don't only ride in the city. We like to head west down the prairie path, north on the lakefront, or south to hit up Indiana breweries just over the state line. People also use bikes as their main modes of transportation in getting to and from work and for other daily trips. We'll hear from Daniel Como, Associate Transportation Policy Analyst at the Chicago Metropolitan Agency for Planning, on the regional planning aspect. And from Jim Merrill, Managing Director of Advocacy for Active Transportation Alliance on what bike infrastructure looks like in Chicago today. All right, let's get rolling. As a regional planning organization, I'm wondering if you might be able to talk a little bit about the work that um, CMAP does in regional bike planning and perhaps, you know, transportation for you know pedestrians, cars in, in, in general.
2: Yeah, so CMAP is the Chicago Metropolitan Agency for Planning. We're the comprehensive long-range planning agency for Northeastern Illinois. And so our, our primary uh, activities are that we work with our, our partner agencies to implement the long-range uh, regional plan, which is on to 2050. And so a central component of, of that plan is related to transportation and, and and you know promoting modes like biking that are sustainable and provide for more options um, for, the, for the region's travelers. And so, you know, one of the things that we do toward you know, implementing the, the plan is that we help to guide the allocation of federal transportation funding. And so sometimes that's supporting, you know, bike infrastructure projects like the Navy Pier Flyover, um, but it's also supporting systems like Divi, uh, you know, some funding that, that came through CMAP helped to support the startup of Divi in, in 2013. We also do some do work to plan for the you know the region's bicycle networks. Uh, and that's you know the, the biggest example of that is that we have a, a regional trails and greenways network, which you know is is in the plan and it, it's something that we try to guide projects toward completing. And so right now that that network is is not complete. Uh, it's, I think it's about 40, 42% uh, of the the mileage is, is complete, but it's, you know, one of the things that we work to in the onto 2050 plan is, um, ensuring that we continue to make progress toward those sorts of regional networks, um, that, that we've documented as, you know, really important for the region's travelers.
1: Um, and why is it important to have, you know, not only local bike lanes, you know, in, in, just your neighborhood, but regional trails and and bikeways connecting Chicago, you know, Chicago with the rest of Chicago, and Chicago with you know surrounding towns and, and suburbs as well.
2: So a lot of people's trips are within their community, and so it's important to have those sorts of local connections, like you're like you're pointing to. But for many of the region's travelers, you know, they cross municipal borders or county borders every day. Uh, you know, we've done some research. Before the pandemic, when, when people were um, traveling to work every day, um, you know, that 56% of the workers in our region were commuting across county borders every day. And so if we want bicycling to be a realistic option for the region's travelers, then we have to make sure that you know, we have networks of, of bicycle facilities that cross municipal and county borders. You know, just because someone lives in Chicago or lives in you know, Aurora doesn't mean that they don't travel to other places uh, in the region. And so you know by having these regional networks, we can ensure that you know biking isn't just a thing that you might do in your neighborhood. It, it's a realistic way for you to get around. But at the same time, you know those those local connections are also really important. And so you know that's something that we really support is that you have these you know regional networks, but then you also have, um, local bike connections that, that make sure that you can get from your front door to that that regional trail uh, and then from you know wherever you go on the trail to to your final destination and do it in a way that's safe and comfortable um, so that we can make bicycling more make people more comfortable biking and making it make it a more realistic option for the rea- for the region's travelers
1: and what are barriers bicyclists might might face that keep them from biking or or wanting to bike for everyday trips or, or- for leisure, and are those different um, in the suburbs versus the city, or or are they the same?
2: You know, they're they're generally pretty similar, and I, I think it's it's a mix of, of barriers, and some of it is infrastructure related, and some of it is maybe more familiarity and you know comfort uh, on the on the infrastructure side. You know, oftentimes there is no dedicated bike facility, or um, you know there might be a, a bike lane that goes part of the way there, or a bike trail that goes part of the way there. But it stops um, at some at some point along the way, and having those you know connections go all the way is is really important. Whenever we're trying to make sure that that people can you know get from where they are to, to where they want to be, uh, and then to do that by by modes like like bicycling, you know another another barrier can often be you know an inability to to park your bike, um, whether that's not enough bike racks or people don't um, you know, they want some sort of um, dedicated space where they can they can leave their bike. Um, but there's also, you know, comfort and and education and, and familiarity with with bicycles. You know, a lot of people in the region do do bike and bike regularly, but many more might not know how to bike. They might not have biked in a while. Um, they might have learned to bike when they were when they were a child, and and it hasn't been something that they've done regularly since. And so. That that's a barrier too, and, and that's where you know the, this the, the problems of infrastructure and comfort can sort of interact, uh, because people that are less comfortable or familiar with biking might need more infrastructure or more dedicated assets to feel like you know biking could be safe for them. Whenever we're thinking about between the city and the suburbs, you know, in general, you might have pretty similar. Issues. It's going to be those same questions of, of infrastructure and, and familiarity. Um, you know, in some cases, the, the built environment might look different in in some uh, some of the suburban communities versus the most urban parts of of the region, and that might mean that you might have higher speed streets um, or, or drivers that are less um, less familiar with cyclists, and so that can impose some um, maybe some different kinds of. Tra- or, different scale of challenges but the you know it's still sort of the same thing but the solutions to those challenges are pretty similar and so we we do see you know both in Chicago and in suburban municipalities throughout the region there are communities that are making really you know significant investments in improving their their bike infrastructure whether that's filling you know crucial gaps in regional trails or you know making key local streets that might be relatively high speed or or high crash uh, into safer facilities for for bicyclists and pedestrians. And so in Chicago, we have investments that are going on right now, like uh, a comprehensive bike network in neighborhoods like Belmont-Cragen. We also have large regional scale investments like the Navy Pier flyover that that opened uh, fully to to bikes and pedestrians uh, relatively recently. But then we also have communities like Evanston that have made significant investments in protected bike lanes on some of their uh, their streets that previously had some some crash incidents. Uh, And we have investments in places like Algonquin, um, you know, much further away from from Chicago that are still making the same sorts of investments in uh, making their their downtown more comfortable and attractive to bicyclists and pedestrians.
1: And is it only infrastructure that makes, um, you know, a a community bike friendly or is it kind of what you touched on, the familiarity of, you know, pedestrians and drivers or, you know, car operators and bicyclists with the bike network? Is, is, it an ed, is there an education component as well, I guess?
2: I, there is, and I think it's it's both, and they can sort of feed on on each other. You know, one one example that is often pointed to in in bike uh, policy and bike advocacy is is looking at the Netherlands. Uh, they they have a you know a well known culture of, of bicycling, and, and one thing that advocates there will will point out is that everyone is a bicyclist, and so they are all even when the bicyclists are driving cars they are familiar with, you know, the, you know, they've been there. And so they, they understand. Um, And so that, you know, bike ridership has seen more interest lately, especially with, with the pandemic. And so that's something where, you know, as more people become more familiar with bicycling either because they've done it, or they're just seeing more people on, you know, on the roads or on the, on the paths bicycling, you know, that, that is a way of just getting used to this, you know, both, as an option that they could take advantage of and also just as a part of the transportation system that they need to, you know, make sure that they're paying attention to.
1: And what, what benefit I know, you know, I know the benefits that biking can bring to me, it it brings me joy, but what benefits can um, being a bicycle friendly city or community bring, um, bring to that city or community, especially when it comes to, you know, the environment and and the health of individuals and communities and economic growth
2: yeah so this is a, a common common question obviously from an environmental perspective bikes are, are very intervi- environmentally sustainable there's uh, no tailpipe emissions from a bicycle and so you know that's that's very good from a you know reducing greenhouse gases perspective it also you know is important to think about It it reduces the sorts of of air pollutants that can lower air quality, which, um, you know, can improve the health of of neighboring communities. There's also been studies, you know, out of places like Portland, Oregon, that have found that investments in bicycle infrastructure can be really positive from an economic growth perspective. You know, it's important to remember. Just like car drivers, you know, bicyclists go to grocery stores and go to the neighborhood bookstore and are you know buying things there, uh, and so if you can build infrastructure, you know like bike lanes and bike parking to accommodate those individuals, you know that's that's a way of enabling economic activity, um, and you know just like just like you said, you know this is a mode that promotes you know physical activity, uh, whether that's as part of you know you're going on a bike ride for exercise. Or you're getting physical activity as part of your commute or your you know trip to school or, or um, to the grocery store, providing the infrastructure and the you know the familiarity levels that allow for that you know is a is a good way of promoting you know just overall physical health.
1: How does how do bike share programs like Divvy um, you know improve accessibility or you know help someone who may be not not so committed to buy a bike, um, get into biking as a mode of, of transportation.
2: Yeah. So Divi and bike share in the region in general have really grown quite substantially over the past decade. I mean, they they emerged from from nothing um, to a, to a mode that is quite recognizable to um, you know to people traveling, especially people who are, are in the city of Chicago or in Evanston. And these programs are really, I mean, they've been quite popular. They're quite effective. Divi this year has seen over 4 million rides, which is, you know, shattering previous ridership records. And that's with two months to go. And so we we expect more more rides um, between now and the end of the year. And these programs allow people to, you know, gain experience using a bike um, in a way that they might not do if they had to go out and buy their own personal bike, especially with the, the shortages of personal Bicycles that we've seen lots of news articles about with, with the pandemic as this has become such a, a popular activity. And so programs like Divi, you know, allow people who might be less familiar or, you know, not as regular bike riders to get exposure to it as a transportation mode. It also enables you to take a bike, you know, for one direction of a trip and you might, you know, take transit back or get a ride um, or walk or or you know, whatever else. You know, and so that's in general, we, we're you know, we're supportive of of ways to find to promote more options for the for the region's travelers. And so having Divi and, and other bike share systems like colony in the in the western parts of the region or um, Grays Lake has a has a bike share program in Lake County, you know, these are their assets both for their transportation value, but also because they can you know help people experience bicycling and the investments that we make to support programs like Divi in terms of new bike parking or, or um, bicycle facilities, bike lanes, can also support people that are using their own personal bicycles. So I think that it's, you know, a great a- asset to the region. It's something that you know CMAP has has supported, and uh, we're very excited about the the success uh, of of bike share in the region, and especially the you know the recent expansion. Um, the city of Chicago is is rolling out Divi citywide, um, you know, they've made substantial progress um, over the, the last um, 18 months in, in really scaling up the, the geographic footprint of the system and bringing it into communities that, um, you know, previously were, were outside of the system. And that's, I think, you know, coupled with the you know ongoing investments uh, in neighborhood bike networks like is happening in, in Belmont-Cragen is a really good way to try to bring uh, the benefits of bicycling to more places uh, in the city and the region.
0: My name is Jim Merrill. I'm the Managing Director of Advocacy at Active Transportation Alliance. Um, I've been there for uh, over eight years now. Um, Active Trans, as we call ourselves, is a uh, walking, biking, public transit um, advocacy organization. So our mission is to promote walking, biking, and transit to create healthy, sustainable, and equitable communities. Um, and my role there is, um, you know, helping to lead our our advocacy team um, in a bunch of different, uh, you know, strategic campaigns uh, to help influence uh, different policies, different plans, and different um, projects um, happening on the city, regional, state, and federal uh, level. So we work um, across, you know, all levels of of government to uh, to create. Um, you know, the policy and planning conditions to help uh, make walking, biking, and and transit easier, more accessible, and and more equitable.
1: Yeah. And today we're uh, here to talk about bike lanes. And in particular, though, perhaps we could, uh, you know, talk about infrastructure that that might help with bike safety that isn't necessarily, you know, a bike lane. But I guess my first question is, um, you know, CDOT, uh, the Chicago Department of Transportation, um, you know, earlier this year announced that it, it plans to add 50 miles of bike lanes this year and next year, um, you know, with a focus on the south and west sides. And officials have said that includes adding 12 miles of protected bike lanes this year and next year. Um, I'm wondering, you know, what Active Trans thinks of those plans. Is it enough? Um, is it detailed enough at the moment or, you know, should it be more detailed? Can it be more detailed? Um, And yeah, is it, is the 12 miles of protected bike lanes each year, is that, you know, adequate or should there be more?
0: The, the, you know, the the recent announcement of the new, um, you know, the new bike bike investments um, is really exciting progress. Absolutely. Um, and in particular, um, as you mentioned, you know, this uh, investment in uh, protected bike lanes. So when we say protected bike lanes, we're talking about any bike lane where there's some kind of physical separation between um, the bike lane and vehicle traffic. So in Chicago, that looks a few different ways. Um, you can see those um, plastic bollards or vertical delineators, as they're called, uh, which would I think would be a cool <laughs> it could be a cool band name, or maybe like an album. I don't know. Um, also, you know, sometimes the parking lane is moved out. Um, in addition to in addition to those plastic posts, you have park cars that create um, a buffer between um, people driving and people uh, using bicycles. And um, then you also have in a few places uh, actual concrete curbs. So th- these are actual um, curbs added to the to the roadway to create uh, an even more robust uh, separation. So, you know, when we talk about um, bike lanes and we talk about protected bike lanes, not all bike lanes are created equal. Um, so when you talk about, you know, the level of detail um, and the, the scale of the investment, um, it really is important um, to understand um, not only where uh, is the city planning on putting these miles, but what types of, um, of facilities, as uh, the planners would say, you know, what types of improvements are it actually going to make? um because you know unfortunately we've seen you know a lot of promises made around uh protected bike lanes in particular um which we haven't seen met um you know starting back with the Emanuel administration uh we had going into into um uh, Mary Emanuel's time uh, a commitment to build a 100 miles of protected bike lanes um we saw about a quarter of those actually get built um Likewise, now Mayor Lightfoot, you know, made a similar commitment to have, uh, you know, fifty miles of protected bike lanes built. Um, we haven't seen, you know, a level of of investment that's going to going to meet that goal. Um, you know, that said, uh, though, the, this the both the um, commitment to adding, you know, twelve new miles, which is going to be a fifty percent improvement over what we've already had. Um, is a, big, is a big step forward for the city. Um, and really importantly, having these dedicated local resources that the city has put together um, through its capital plan uh, is, is something that we've been calling for um, for a long time because it really enables the city to be a lot more flexible in, in figuring out how and where they can use those dollars.
1: Um, and what is, I mean, could you, like, rank the, I guess, safest type of protected bike lane or why you know if it's if it's safer to have like a concrete barrier to protect a bike lane, then why do we why do some places get the you know uh vertical delineator baller type things because um, i you know I've seen trucks like run over those <laughs> uh protections, and that doesn't seem quite helpful um it's rare, but yeah how from your perspective i guess how is it decided? which type of, um, protection goes into a protected bike lane.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, like ideally, uh, right. The, the more robust, uh, <laughs> car impermeable and truck impermeable <laughs> infrastructure is good. Um, and I think it's, it's worth saying too, like a lot of, a lot of these concrete curb, um, bike lanes are there's, you know, they're in place around the city. So I'm not around the world. Um, so in terms of like you know access and snow removal and emergency vehicles, all these sometimes we hear about the you know the potential downsides of, of having this infrastructure, but they work you know around the world in all different kinds of settings. Um, but yeah, you know, I think I think I think in terms of you know the ideal uh, the ideal level of protection um, is having either you know uh, what they call a grade separated, so being totally on a different level, um, you know between somewhere between the sidewalk and between um, between where cars travel or having that, you know, vertical separation with a curb or, or, another, um, another permanent hard, um, element like that. Um, but at the same time, you know, there are very, very real and practical considerations that we know, um, you know, city officials and planners have to make in terms of, uh, available budget and how can we build out a net- network, um, rapidly while, um, still providing the highest quality. So these are the type of policy and planning decisions that, um, we think are really important for us to be able to pull out into um into the public and make sure that we're having a really robust uh disc- a robust and transparent discussion because um it's important for us to to understand kind of how these trade-offs play out but what we've seen today is you know m- much more um a reliance and a strategy of having these what they call the post and paint um so using paint and and these vertical delineators to build out um protected bike lanes as quickly as possible with the with the intent um of you know going back and upgrading them to more permanent infrastructure and we've seen this happen in a few places so downtown on Dearborn um there's a you know a protected bike lane there that uh, received a big upgrade a, a couple of years ago um with with new concrete curbs and the same thing on parts of Milwaukee Avenue um but you know we haven't seen uh we haven't seen a strategy to to follow through on similar upgrades throughout the network. And like you said, there are maintenance and other issues with um, the current approach that if they're not addressed on an ongoing basis can make the the protected bike lane feel less comfortable and safe for people. And ultimately, why are we talking about protected bike lanes? Um, it's not just because <laughs> we think they're cool, uh, but it's, it's the kind of safe and comfortable infrastructure that's going to actually shift behavior and get people who might be interested in riding a bike actually um, use it um, day-to-day as a, as a part of their, their daily transportation choices. Um, And so if we're creating that safe, low stress, all ages and abilities network um, we can actually help unlock a lot of the sustainability and equity and health um, benefits that, you know, less car centric mobility can, can bring us.
1: And I want to kind of go back. You mentioned that like, obviously the, the, some of the, protected bike lane infrastructure can get installed more quickly than, say, a, you know, permanent, I guess, concrete barrier. Um, so I live close to the Logan Boulevard. I live close to Logan Boulevard, and there's a new, you know, protected bike lane there. And I felt like that got stood up super quickly. Like, I basically blinked one day, and there is a, you know, protected bike lane. Um Why do you find in advocacy work that it's harder to, um, I guess, maybe fast track some of those projects or is it harder to build bike lanes in like different areas of the city or is it like there's so many, you know, you have to work with the aldermen, you have to work with CDOT. Um, Are there just a lot of moving parts and what it takes to get you know, a new bike lane or a different type of bike lane installed in different areas of the city.
0: Yeah, um, you know, we had uh, my colleague um, Kyle Whitehead had, had a great blog post um, laying out kind of like the four big barriers to building out protected bike lanes um, earlier this year. If, if folks are interested in looking that up on our our website, um, but it does boil down to a lot of what you're what you're saying. So we, you know, obviously funding and available resources is one. Um, we know now that the city has this new capital money. new new capital investment available. So that's kind of at least temporarily, um, less of a barrier. Um, you know, something we could talk about is the role that the state uh, plays in, um, in other, uh, in controlling a lot of our main roadways, particularly, um, a lot of the barrier roadways. Um, and then there's also, you know, just the capacity of, uh, the Department of Transportation and you know, the fact that they, have, they can only you know, have capacity to manage a certain number of projects, um, given their staffing and, and other resources. Um, and then there's the you know, the community and political um, buy-in and, and support, which in Chicago, like you said, often you know, be, because our aldermen play what I would you know, describe as maybe an outsized role in uh, making decisions about the public right-of-way. Um, we've seen a, you know, a dramatically uneven implementation of not just bike lanes, but other types of street improvements throughout the city. Right. So when we talk about, um, transparency and accountability as like an equity strategy, having, uh, making sure that we really understand how decisions are being made and who's making them. And it's not, um, there aren't, you know, a lot of the traditional <laughs> Chicago gatekeepers shutting down, uh, projects before they can happen. Um, that's a really, it's a, it's a big reason why we need to have a much more kind of transparent um, planning process, uh, which you know, we have seen, um, you know, to CDOT's credit, they have take, you know, taken some good steps um, in this direction. Uh, this past year, they did some really dedicated, focused neighborhood um, level outreach um, and followed by immediate implementation of, of, new, um, of new bike lanes. In um, in in high need areas uh, on the west side of the city, and uh, so that's a good example of you know the type of the level of resources needed to to actually en- engage communities and kind of meaningful um, input and engagement. Um, so now the question is, you know, how can we scale that up um, uh, to, in a way that's going to help move the needle citywide? Um, because if we're only going one neighborhood at a time, we're still you know going to be a long way off from having the network that we need to actually shift behavior.
1: Yeah, I know months ago I was talking to one alderman and I was asking like are there enough do you think there are enough bike lanes in your in your ward in your you know greater community and he said something like well people don't people don't bike in my ward. <laughs> and then I kind of begged the question of like well one you know you don't have eyes on every street at at all times. So I'm I'm sure someone in your ward at some point is biking. Two are people not biking because they don't have a safe place to bike and would they bike if they did? And yeah, it's, it's, I think the pushback from aldermen is interesting. And I've heard, you know, two, at least two aldermen say like, I don't like the protected bike lanes in my ward because they don't get cleaned at the same time or cleared maybe of, you know, like street cleaning would happen or snow plowing would happen. They don't get, um, cleared at the same time as the car portion of the street does and i mean i'm not like an engineer or anything but that just sounds like maybe the city needs more bike lane sweepers or they need to better or I don't know, but like,
0: yeah, it's, it's certainly not an insurmountable problem. Right. Uh, and yeah. And we've, yeah, we've heard this is a, uh, and it's with any, you know, infrastructure It's just building it is one thing, but then maintaining it and keeping it functional is, is an entirely different thing. And and when you're a more vulnerable roadway user, like someone on a bike, it's even more important um, than when you're, you know, driving in a car. Uh, and so, um, you know, unfortunately, yeah, we have, we have seen, you um, places where snow removal and r- removing debris, Lake Street, um, the protected bike lane on Lake, Lake Street in the west side is kind of a, a notorious example of, of uh, a lot of debris and glass. The city does have equipment to sweep out those bike lanes. Um, but despite you know, this being a persistent issue that we've kind of brought up, um, kind of maintaining the you know, level of maintenance that I think folks expect and deserve. Um, has been a, a struggle, but again, this gets back to, you know, one of the bigger structural areas is is also the, the capacity of the city um, to support these types of investments. Um, and so it's not just having $17 million for protected bike lanes. It's also having investments in the community outreach infrastructure to build the relationships and understanding to so people are, are able to participate and see their desires reflected in the outcomes. Um, and also, in you know, all the other services like maintenance and the the, the there are small sweepers that fit into protected bike lanes. <laughs> we should get more of those.
1: I want to <laughs> see one. I've never. I don't think I've ever seen one, and I yeah. would love to see this like miniature street yeah. sweeper.
0: <laughs> so all these things are you know within like the are uh, we have the technology uh, <laughs> again? It's just kind of like are we providing the resources? And so while we've seen you know some exciting this the announcement around the hundred the you know hundred miles. Um, this this great new neighborhood focused strategy where we're seeing you know rapid delivery of projects and and you know twelve you know growing our protected bike lane network by twelve miles all that is really great it's all a good step in the right direction um, but we really need to be seeing more if we're if we're going to be kind of moving the needle and and capturing particularly you know over this last eighteen months and the way mobility has been wildly disrupted with the pandemic um, and you're seeing you know more and more people who are going to be wanting to use protected bike lanes because they're not just on their own bikes. They're also using the new, you know, e that are wildly popular. Um, Divvy had, had another record-setting year. We just we're going to have another two-year scooter pilot, right? They need a safe place to ride. Um, so more and more we're seeing more demand kind of growing for alternative mobility, and I think we're seeing that kind of community and political support um, reflect that. But at the end of the day, with 50 wards, you know, we have to have we have to have leadership and kind of a coherent citywide strategy. Um, otherwise, we're never going to be able to, to put a network together, which is what we have to we have to do. You know, we don't build our train, our, our train lines or our bus reps, um ward by ward.
1: That would be yeah, a mess, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, you mentioned you talked a little bit about you know community input and transparency, and I know that was part of something that Active Trans was looking for, um, you know, after the plans for the capital plan came out, um, and I know that you know the mayor has advisory councils on bikes and pedestrians, um, and those advisory committees to my knowledge have still not met since the beginning of the pandemic. So, have you heard anything from like I guess Cdot or the mayor's administration about um, you know, greater community involvement and how I don't know, organizations like Active Trans might become more involved in um implementing, you know, these new bike lanes.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, you know, we I, we Obviously, have, uh, we have plenty of opportunity to, to weigh in. So I think it's really you know, lifting up the, the voices of folks who are most impacted by transportation inequity, you know, either being stuck in a car or not having access to a car and needing that to access a job or education. Um, and in Chicago, that's largely um, you know, black and brown people on the south and, south and, and west sides. Um, but yeah, we haven't, uh, you know, the, the mayor's bicycle advisory council or the pedestrian advisory council, um, have not met. And I'm not sure if there's an official announcement, but I think we're, you know, it seems to be moving on. (laughs) Uh, the, the city did, uh, the department of transportation did put out a new strategic plan over the summer, which talks about a couple of things. I mentioned, you know, this neighborhood based bike planning strategy, um, which involves, you know, establishing, um, kind of a community advisory group um, to help inform the entire process and help provide input on uh, outreach strategy and actually connecting in more meaningful ways um, with people where they are. Um, so, you know, that's a great model. And I think something that, you know, it would be great to see um, you know res- more resources growing and additional skills and staff being brought to support that kind of work. Um, and the strategic plan also, identif- uh, also identified adding like a senior level staff person at the Department of Transportation, specifically focused on um, community engagement. Um, and so, you know, what does that mean in terms of other staffing or resources for the, the agency? Um, I think it's to be seen because we haven't gotten an update on the, the status of that position yet. Um, but obviously, that's one thing that we're going to be watching closely um, to see, you know, who that person is and what type of impact they can have. Because what I think what we what we've suggested and have seen, um, you know, some other cities, Minneapolis or Seattle, come to mind, um, is really having dedicated staff working on outreach, um, kind of longitudinally. So not project. Right now, it's very project oriented. So when the city is gonna is going to do something in a neighborhood, um, you know, they'll go and talk to folks about it. Um, sometimes if it's a big, big capital project with lots of dollars, um, there are, you know, consultants and workshops and other things that can happen more often than not it's smaller projects, right. Where people don't, don't even, um, know that it's part of a, a longer term plan or whatever. So having, having more dedicated staff and resources where you, we can be building more of an ongoing dialogue between, um, folks who are making decisions and the folks who are actually living in the community is, is kind of a, a model. So. We haven't seen that yet. That's kind of our our vision for, you know, where we would like to see the the direction, but this um, identification of a new staff person is a big outcome. And then um, Active Transportation Alliance is a part of um, a coalition called the Transportation Equity Network, um, which is led by more than 40 different organizations, community-based groups, um, more kind of regional civic groups like ours, um, academics, others, um, really working to try and, bring racial equity into every transportation decision in the region. And so that group played a big part in informing the strategic plan. And so there's a lot in there that, you know, is really positive in terms of commitments to equity and transparency and community engagement. Um, And again, that was just released in uh, in the summer. So there was uh, a commitment from the city to um, work with the transportation equity network and its stakeholders on continuing a dialogue around the implementation of that plan. So whether that becomes, you know, a new MBAC or MPAC or some other kind of formal um, accountability body is, you know, I think to be determined, but it's like the kind of thing right now that I think we as as advocates need to be focused on really laying out for the city what we think meaningful accountability um, should look like.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I guess uh, circling back to the um the capital plan and we've mentioned this number a few times the 17 million that's dedicated to um bike lanes 17 million is a lot of money but it's 1.2% I believe of the total capital plan um what does that say, I guess, about the city's priorities? Should there be a greater portion of that dedicated to bikes? I mean, we're looking at this in a silo. So there's also money, right, for other non-car um, initiatives. But should there be a greater priority? You know, we always hear budgets are moral documents. uh um, <laughs> I've heard that like 50 times, surely, in the past few weeks. Um, So what does that say, I guess, about um, the priorities? And and is it growing? Is it moving in the right direction? Should there be more money dedicated to um, the specific mode of transportation?
0: Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely, it's it's not enough, but it is more um, dedicated local dollars um that we've had in a long time a lot of the bike uh improvements around the city is paid for um largely through federal grants which have um also some local resources um making up a smaller part of that things like menu money or or tiff um so the city having its own kind of dedicated pot uh to to where it it's really key to being able to implement a more equitable biking strategy because they're able to control how and where they're going to deploy those resources. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's absolutely, I mean, it's outrageous. The, the lack of um, you know, the disparity between uh, our investment in, um, in alternative modes and car oriented modes, even now in 2021, when, <laughs> you know, right, right, we're starting this big climate summit um, this week, weekend in, in Glasgow. Uh, We're told we've got 10 years. This is the the decade we have to make a difference. Um, And yet we still have, you know, the Jane Byrne interchange um, going on for another four years until we're done (laughs) building that three quarter of a billion dollar (laughs) boondoggle. Um, And there's, there are similar, you know, highway um, investments programs still throughout the region, right? to the tune of billions of dollars. So yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, we obviously have to make our, make our, make our case, um, and be persuasive where we can be, but if you step back, it's hard not to get kind of a little indignant about, um, you know, complaints about how much we're investing in 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 biking, walking, or, or transit um, compared to you know the big picture stuff. You know, hopefully this is going to change. Um, a, a, you know, we're 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 um seeing more investment um again from from. We hope this commitment from this capital plan is something that we're going to be able to maintain into the future. So we have ongoing dollars. Um, that would be, you know, a huge huge thing. We've seen a similar move from the state of Illinois, where they now have a new $50 million in state uh, resources uh, dedicated every year for for bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure. Um, and then likewise, right, everything um, happening right now in DC uh, also includes, you know, potentially um, really transformational amounts of, of resources for, for walking, biking, and, and transit. And so I think putting the protected bike lane conversation in that broader context of, you know, how are we building a more resilient and adaptive city um, given you know, the, the looming threat of, of climate change um, and the ongoing legacy of environmental racism in Chicago. Um, it's, it's really important because it's, it's like, not, we have to make the decisions right now. And we also have resources uh, kind of coming in at an unprecedented level. So it's an exciting time, uh, but we also have to really kind of be getting it right.
1: This episode of The Cloudcast was produced by me, Erin Hegarty, and edited by Joel Ebert. We'll have another episode of The Cloudcast ready for your listening ears in two weeks. See you later.